Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And Paul McVeigh said to me, Chris, are you sure you want to do this? I would say that the reason why me and Jack haven't given up is that it's the adversity that we've gone through. Him losing his dad, me losing my mum. And it's been it's been almost like a healing process for us. You've come through grief with all of these new things, this new lease of life, really. Um, and I'm yeah. sure should be very proud of the person you've become. We actively get told by the club, we want you to say what you really think. And to go from uh, match day experiences to having to sit down with Tom Campbell in your house. Having his medal, the league winning medal around my neck. But the other side of that is really dark nights. The noise that you hear is often the negative noise. They just don't realise that I am who I am because of the experiences that I've had. I have really, really, I'm finding it even difficult to talk about this now. I've really struggled with uh, some of the comments that I've got. Yes, people, we are back again for season two of the Football and Feelings podcast. I'm here with our first guest, Talk Norwich City co-host, social media specialist and all-round lovely man. It's Chris Reed. How are you doing, Chris? What an intro. I'll right. take that. Jonathan I'm... Ross style. <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. I've had a fantastic day. I'm pumped for the new season, but more importantly, I'm pumped to be on this podcast. It is more important than the season, I, I will admit. Genuinely, yeah. though, because I've I've obviously seen that you've set it up. I've watched all of the content and I really, really enjoy it. I love I love what you're about. I love your mission. I love what you're trying to achieve. So it's a genuine, genuine privilege to, to be on. I am blushing already. Thank <laughs> you very much. And um, first of all, um, a bit late, but congrats on the engagement. Thanks, mate. That's kind yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, climb, climbed up to the top of Ben Nevis. And um, pop the pop the big question. It's been in the works for about a year. Nice. Um, almost couldn't get up of up, up off of one knee again afterwards because <laughs> uh, I was that knackered from the climb. Um, but yeah, no, great. Signed, signed and sealed on a lifelong contract. Uh, Delia Smith must be gutted. <laughs> off the market. <laughs> <laughs> she will be. Good old Delia. <laughs> okay, right. Let's just dive straight into it and talk some talk about Norwich. Um, okay, so in the midst now of this apparent long-term plan that uh, a lot of people speak about and that we've seen sort of play out as well. Um, what's the consensus amongst fans? How are you feeling after coming up to the Prem, going back down? What's the general consensus? Oh, great question to start with. Um, so first of all, Norris City are very lucky. We're very lucky because we've got a football club with um, a way, with a philosophy, with lots of young and hungry footballers. And... I'm actually really proud to support Norwich, despite the fact that we we got relegated. I think we are going to get promoted again. Okay, but there is and there's more of an element of expectation this season. It has to work first time of asking. Daniel Farker really needs to make a good impression because he's being given all of the assets that he needs. So there is going to be added pressure on the manager to deliver. 
But I'm really hopeful, really hopeful. I think we are definitely one of the best teams in the league. You know, mm-hmm. we're signing some real, real top quality players. Even, you know, for example, Oliver Skip on loan from Tottenham. You know, Pochettino said that he was going to be captain of Tottenham one day. So we're not messing around and it's great. And I think there's more of an edge to Norwich at the moment. But of course, time will tell. Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of young talent coming through. I mean, he's selling a few, but still, I mean, you've had a really interesting uh, transfer season as well. Yeah, well, we've signed a, new, we've signed a whole new team. Mm. It's been unbelievable. It's been probably the best transfer window since I've started following Norwich, which is bonkers, really. Um, yeah, it's been nuts. We've signed a whole new team apart from a, a GK, uh, which is really impressive. And I really like that. And it's a good mix of championship experience um, with some completely unknown players mm. as well, which is great. Uh, Stuart Webber's got a real good track record of uncovering some diamonds in the rough. So yeah, again, really optimistic um, and really excited. But Norwich have an issue, I think, because if we don't offload a fair few of those boys, perhaps not in this window, but certainly by January, I do think there is going to be a culture crisis because we've got such a big squad and it's impossible for Daniel Farker to keep all those players happy. You know, even at the best of times, a football manager always has issues with that. And I think that's going to be a problem for Norwich. So actually, rather than Norwich coming up against strong opposition, I actually think Norwich's biggest threat this season is self-implosion. And I think that that's something that obviously I'm sure Stuart Weber and Daniel Farker will be very, very, very keen to make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, Farker speaks very loudly and quite openly about the club situation as well. I mean, like how important it is to develop that infrastructure, um, paying for previous sins, as, as he put it, I think. Um, how does that feel as a fan, knowing that there's there's a, there's a commitment to the, to, the, to the city of Norwich as well as the club's infrastructure, making sure that you're going to remain at the level that you've reached eventually? Is it good or is there impatience? Because, you know, football fans, they want the Prem and they want it now. Yeah. Um, Well, look, you know, first of all, I completely, completely applaud Daniel Farker. I've got so much time and respect for him despite relegation. A lot of people outside of Norwich, they don't get that. They're like, well, hang on a minute. You've had one of the worst Premier League seasons you've ever had as a football club, if not the worst, in terms of points points that we've actually managed to gather. Mm. We've gone down, but despite that, I think that he holds a really, really, um, a really good attitude. He's very, very good at the one-to-one stuff. He's very good at looking after young players. Very good at motivating. He's got them. a very German philosophy, isn't he? So it's good great. at bringing them through the ranks as well. And that financially to Norwich works a treat as well. Mm. I must admit, though, I think back end of last season, well, certainly since the Premier League restart, there was an element of, you know a large majority of Norwich fans getting fed up of the same nonsense um, in the post-match press conferences. So that, what you've said there, Mm. Liam, is is completely right. It's it's lovely, but it gets to the point where it's like, well, hang on a minute, this is lovely, this is poetry, and and it's it's nice, but it doesn't really mean anything. We need to see results now. Mm -hmm. So I think the risk that you run when you put expectation so far down is it does leak into the players' heads and the fans' heads as well. So it becomes more frustrating. So it has lots of positives, but also lots of negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think he's the man for the job? Do you think he'll stick it for, for quite a long time now? Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. Although I always feel like... I, I feel like it's fragile right now at this very second. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't come out of the gates like a dog on steroids, I have absolutely 
no idea how the fans are going to cope with it, to be honest with you, because, you know, we spent we spent a lot of money. Um, we, we've made some big, big wholesale changes to our squad and he's been given all of the assets, all of the resource and Norwich fans won't stand for poetry without points next season. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into the sort of content we can expect to see this year from Talk Norwich City. Um, obviously a massive channel you've got there. The fans, you, you seem to get better views or at least match the views of the Norwich City's official <laughs> channel, which is which is great to see. Um, what can we expect from TNC this year? What sort of content is planned? Thanks for the kind comments. The, yeah, Talk Norwich City has is, is been, you know, such an incredible journey for Jack and I, um, you know, he started out of his bedroom and we became best mates. I'm sure we'll go on to that, to that yeah. in a minute. Um, but yeah, in terms of the channel for this season, um, we're diversifying the offering. We're doing more lives than before. With the whole COVID situation, one of the things that we've really enjoyed is bringing the community of Norwich fans together and genuinely giving the fans a voice. And mm. um, that's what fan media should be about. Um, you know, not just saying you're a fan channel, but not actually interacting with fans. And we've we've realized that recently. And what the live streams do is that they enable people to be there in the moment, get their statements, often their rants. They've probably had a few beers, mm. but they really enjoy the element of conversation and healthy debate as well. So that's what we're doing this season. We've got some massive interviews lined up. We always do, which is great. We're very privileged, grateful and lucky, even though we've worked very hard for it. Mm. So, um, yeah, we'll have probably a, an in, another interview with a with a player this season and, and someone within the top brass at Norris City Football Club. So, it's super exciting and we absolutely love its bits. It's really impressive how you've got that relationship well enough with the club to get there. And I'd like to, to touch on that soon. But for the listener, could you give like a, a bit of a lowdown of Talk Norris City and the role that um, that you and Jack play? I, mean, I thought you were brothers at first because of, <laughs> of the does. surname. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. How, how did it start? And yeah, what's the format now? Well, yeah, as I say, uh, Jack started it, started out of his bedroom. He's always wanted to work in media, uh, so he's like the media man, which is what, right. which is why it works quite well. And you know, it's kind of like a bit of a chuckle brother vibe, really, because <laughs> he he kind of plays the he plays the the, the journalist that that he asks questions that he knows full well I'm going to explode on mm. because I'm a fan, I'm a proud fan. Such as what do you think I'm, of the blue kit? Oh, don't talk about that blue kit. If not, I'll walk out right now. Um, but no, yeah, so, so it works really well. Um, and he has built it from the ground up. And I've got a lot of time and admiration for that. And the story is he started it. And I actually went up to him for an interview when it first when it first begun. And we just clicked and kept in contact, started messaging. And then very sadly, during that period, his dad died. Right. And instantly resonated with me because my mum died too. So I think, yeah, so my mum died 2007 of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer and his father died literally, yeah, it would be just a few years ago now as well. So we became inseparable in terms of not just friends, but like, although people laugh at the fact that we're not actually brothers, we are brothers. Yeah, and yeah. it sounds like a bit, there is a massive bromance there, of course. He's a top man. But we are bound by our grief and we're bound by the energy that we give each other. And we're bound by the fact that we need each other because we've got so much in common um, that it's got to this point now where I do I, I do treat him like a brother and he probably treats me like a brother as well. And, you know, sometimes he'll wind me up and sometimes I'll wind him up and sometimes we have to have a, a conversation. And But that's really healthy. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realise the 
amount of work that's gone into it. Um, you know, I'm talking not just lo- like we would do our normal jobs mm. and we would work five, six hours into the night working on Talk Norris City, particularly Jack editing all the videos, graphics and all of that. Um, and it's literally just been a massive graft for us both in the past few years. And it's got to the point where because of my background in biz dev and commercial, we've managed to bring in sponsors, which has really put us on a on a, on a whole new level. Um, and yeah, like we managed to get such a good break mm-hmm. for for guests in uh, in Russ Martin, who's a, who's a family friend of mine, and that was the big moment because we had been just pumping out content like match day experiences, fan cams, all of that stuff, and we wanted to move away from fan cams because it became a bit like. I love Arsenal fan TV. I've got so much respect for Robbie there. He's, he's a top top man, mm. but we didn't want to be causing toxicity we didn't want to be causing people um bad mental health you know and i think it got to the point where look if you put your thoughts and appealing uh, and opinions and feelings out there mm. you are putting yourself on a pedestal particularly in the football world to be shot down and so we moved away from that and we switched to a really engaging informative friendly informal podcast um so yeah we've interviewed some top guests but russ martin was a massive breakthrough and the amount of times we were rejected. And at the time, we were real, like, there's obviously other fan channels, you know, in the world of Norwich now that have have started too. But we were like the trailblazers. So mm-hmm. we did the real brunt of the work with the football club, you know, trying to tell them why why it's such a good idea to, to engage in fan media. Credit where credit's due, they were one of the first clubs to do so. Yeah, And a massive part of that is that after literally months of trying to organise to get the captain of Norwich City Football Club to come on, we managed to pull it off. But the only reason why we pulled it off is that Russ actually spoke to the media team and said, I want to do this. Right. And I think that, again, like we're so grateful that we've got those relationships because in other football clubs, people don't know players Mm -hmm. or it's unlikely that they'll know them. And it's also unlikely that they'll come on a fan channel because of just how raucous and brash the opinions are. And it's seen as risky. And Russ just came on and completely opened up about his weaknesses, his challenges, his career. And it was just such a big moment. And from there, it just snowballed and Mm -hmm. and got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, hundreds and hundreds of subscribers just rocketed up. And we're still not massive. We've still got a long way to go. Um, But yeah, no, since then, we've had Angus Gunn, uh, of course, at Southampton now, Anel Hernandez, Stuart Webber, the sporting director, to Mm -hmm. just name a few, Todd Cantwell. So... It's incredible. And, but but the reason why we love it so much is we love uncovering untold stories and giving those to the fans. Because I don't know about you, Liam, but I'm so bored of the generic media bullshit of just, oh, oh am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, yeah. Or if yeah, not, fine, you've just lost fine. your ad revenue. I'm not, sorry, wait, I'm not making any money from this, <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> there you go, my first sweary. Um yeah, I'm just fed up of just the generic questions. Like yeah. no one cares anymore about mm-hmm. the just the standard media trained rubbish. Mm-hmm. And for a football club, it makes sense to get fans to to get players involved because fans want to know more than ever before. They're reading stats, analytics, but now there's almost like this emotional intelligence side where they want to know more. They want to know about the player's personality, what are their ambitions, what are their family like, where are they from, mm-hmm. you know, like. And I think that that's so important for a football club to actually give an opportunity to fan channels because you'll uncover some real goodness that won't be told 
in front of a normal, traditional media camera. Yeah. It just will not be told. Do you think you catch the players when they're much more relaxed and, you know, rather than the, the formal media? Yeah, 100%. Because, like, when you're interviewing someone at a ground or, you know, in a media setting, mm. traditional media setting, it's, yeah, you just, they go into autopilot because they're yeah. all media trained now, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, obviously the most important thing is, you know, the, the lads got the three points and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just no, ignore please. the question you asked. But, but honestly, the, the massive thing is, and one thing I would say to anyone that's interested in the industry or, or, or enjoys interviewing or wants to get into it, the most important thing is trust mm. and that you're giving them value and they've got to feel comfortable. Those are like the three things. So the players literally come around to my house and sit in my lounge or my what's now my spare bedroom. And we 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 talk to them beforehand for a mm. good half an hour. We tell them all of the questions. We ask them whether they want anything out. We never edit at all because they're so comfortable and they want to open up. So quite often at the start, it's a bit, it can be difficult to get those feelings out of a player. But when they feel like it's a safe space, they open up because they've got our trust. But quite often, honestly, our, our interviews will take between two to six months. There was even one interview that we had with Paul Warren, the Rotherham manager at the moment, who's a massive Norwich fan. Mm. Managed to get him on our on our audio exclusive podcast. Give it a listen if you're a, if you're just a football fan of anyone, because he's a fantastic chap and hilarious as well. Took us eight months to get that over the line. Most people would just give up and say, we've not got the interview. But I was literally messaging the the media manager there, uh, emailing him, calling him relentlessly, like like an annoying salesperson. <laughs> you've got to ask questions, but more, more importantly, you've got to show the value. And I think there's a lot of people, not just in the football world, in football media world, but in life, there's a lot of assholes out there. They're asking questions, but they're giving no value back. Or they're asking questions, but not willing to listen to the advice. Mm. And so that's why I'd, I'd encourage. So in a nutshell, that was a bit of a, a long ramble, but that is in itself the the history of TNC. But I'd say our our, our kind of our, our culture and our mission is to give fans a voice, but also do it in a way of such that we really care about people's mental health and their feelings, which is why I wanted to come on this podcast because I'm yeah. so goddamn passionate about it. Um, an amazing interview that, again, like more than anything, actually, that I shout out today, we did an interview with Simon Thomas and his wife passed away um, of leukemia and blood cancer, one of the two, right. forgive me, Simon. And he really opened up and we sat there on camera and we all cried together on camera and showing that vulnerability in a world of testosterone hungry, beer bellied, stone island wearing football, you know, it's not easy to do that. Mm. Um and that was a real big moment. And I'd encourage everyone to watch that because everyone is so... I Actually, I watched your interview you did with Lloyd. Amazing, by the way. And I, what, I loved, what I loved about it is he said, football fans just need to calm down. Now, yes, definitely. <laughs> I still struggle with that. But what I would say is that, you know, and I'll go on to a bit more about me, I'm sure, in, in a minute, but I, I really believe in, in perspective and mm. actually... We go to be entertained. That's all we go for. So at the end of the day, as long as your friends and family are safe and well and alive, and more than ever before, I'm sure now people can appreciate it. So go and watch that podcast with Simon Thomas, former Sky Sports News presenter. I'll post that in the in the description. I haven't seen that actually, so that sounds that does sound really interesting. Um, 
it's really interesting to hear about the dynamic you have there. I mean, it's it's a massive credit to the to the channel you've set up that the club aren't keeping you at an arm's length at all times, like they tend to, like you said, Arsenal fan TV. That's sort of what we've what we've grown to expect. Um, how does that relationship work now? Then are you? I presume you don't have total access, whatever you want, when you want. How no. does that? How does that legwork work? Really, really keen to talk about this point and open up about it because a lot of people don't understand it, and a lot of people are naturally skeptical mm. because they think that we're giving we're being giving interview given interviews because it like it manipulates the media and we we say things that back the football club like everyone right. thinks we're in bed with Delia, but yet we always have this opinion of we can't stay in the Premier League if we keep Delia. It's as simple mm. as that. We need bigger investment to stay up there. But a lot of fans are naturally sceptical of Jack and I. A lot of it's bred through jealousy and uh, because we're young guys and we're smashing it. But I think in terms of like the relationship with the football club, we the, the former guy there was great. He was a bit old school though and struggled to just kind of give us the keys and go. And the new guy there, Dan Holker, is incredible. So big out shout out to Dan. Um, and... He and also also Ben Kensel, who's the COO at, at Norwich as well, um, and he he called me up the other night. Here's an example. He called me up with the other night out of nowhere. Like he, he's the chief executive officer of yeah. Norwich Football Club. He calls me after we've just done a podcast, and I had a big old rant, and I, and I answered the phone, and I went, "Uh oh, what have I done?" And he went, "What do you mean? What you've done? What have you done?" I went, "Well, what would you?" What do you mean? And we, I was just completely baffled by it. And he went, Chris, I really liked what you said on that podcast. I shouldn't be telling you this, actually, but now it's out there. So I really <laughs> agreed awesome. with what you said. But more importantly, I agree with the way that you put it across. So we criticised the club on many levels last season, many levels. But we gave each opinion some airtime and we spoke about it fairly mm. rather than just ranting and and you know having a go we were also highlighting the positives too because of course last season the Norwich fans were looking for something to blame was it Daniel Farker was it Stuart Webber's recruitment and his team was it the football club setup Ben Kensel got a lot uh, wrong with the membership scheme that really pissed off the fans and there was all sorts of issues um, and he called me up and he said Chris well done and I went Phew. and that and that was just mind-blowing and a big and a big deal for us and um, but we actively get told by the club, we want you to say what you really think. So please don't, um, please don't feel afraid to have a go or say that we're doing something wrong because ultimately they want to achieve and they want a really good relationship with the fans. So it's really special, actually, really special. But at the beginning, it was really hard because I was having to tell Angus and Russ, who are my, who are my mates, and, and I said to Angus, look, can you just pester the... Can you just pester Joe and say, we need to get this done now? I really want to do it and force it through. Um, but without that, we we would not be where we are today. It's as plain and as simple as that. You've got to get trust first, though. So why do you think that fan channels have continued to grow in popularity then? Do you think it's, uh, you know, is it because they want to see more player culture and the fan culture combined? Or, yeah, why, why do you think that they go from strength to strength? Uh, I think they're bored of traditional okay. I think yeah. they're really bored of traditional I think they I think fans want things fast they want things now they mm. want things live and they want more they want quantity not just quality they want quantity like you know they want daily uploads they don't want one article a week they want so much more than that um, 
And I, and I think as well as that, they really enjoy hearing from other fans because it's an opportunity to debate and it's an opportunity for fans to have a voice. Like it's massive. And I, and I think that fan media is actually at the point now, to be fair, it's been at this point now for probably a good two years that the nationals are actually scared of fan media massively. I mean, you said at the start, and we've got a good, great relationship with the marketing of the football club. They do some amazing content. Mm. But as you said, you know, we're getting some similar views to to their videos, the club videos. Um, and it's because they want to hear from fans. There's a fantastic radio show um, that Rob Butler does, BBC Radio Norfolk, called The Scrimmage After a Game. And it's fans ranting. It's raw. And it's straight after a game. And it's fiery. And we kind of bring that, but digitally on video. And yeah, it's a real joy. And I, I think I think that fans... Um, I think fans deserve more of a voice because football's evolved and f- football's just not the same anymore. Like I say this all the time to so many different people that football's changed. Mm. Stop trying to make football what it was in the 1990s. It's done. It's dead. It's moved on. People have their phones out. People want to see live statistics. You know, I think it's going to be at the point where we see people's heart rates in the pitch. I really do think it's going to get to that point. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because people are obsessed, and and rightly so. Yeah, I think it was Ar- uh, Arsene Wenger said once he he wouldn't be surprised if if eventually, not in the so distant future, that um, fans can vote for the next sub um, via social media <laughs> polls. I mean, I don't think we will see that, but sure. if it did happen, some black mirror shit. Um, um, but you wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't no. be surprised to see it. No, you wouldn't at all. You absolutely wouldn't. And. Yeah, but but my point is, Nim, is that the the whole VAR thing and the way that the game's modernising and stuff, it's going through such a turbulent time. The game, it's become so much more plastic. And I think that fans want heart, fans want soul, and fans want more than just plastic corporate content. And that's what fan media gives them. Simple as that. Yeah. So... I mean, again, it baffles me hearing about this podcast because now I'm seeing the sort of work that that you uh, you lads have put into it, and to go from uh, match day experiences to having a sit down with Todd Cantwell in your house, um, it, it is amazing. But I'm sure a lot of fans are going to tune into this podcast off off the back of yours to to see the ins and outs. Um, what what are the struggles that we don't see? What are the what's the the gritty and dirty parts that that you know the fans aren't seeing when you're doing a live stream? Uh, mental health problems and there's been times where uh, there's been times where Jack and I have really struggled mm. Mainly, I think Jack's probably better at dealing with it because he's a journalist but I'm not right. and, I, and I struggle with it massively uh, because I really care about what people think about me I'm a human right and I can't just put something to one side and I've got better at it recently um, I've got really good at it, actually, responding to people in a fair manner that's respectful and kind and killing them with kindness will go on to that. But trolls have been so hard for us because we're young, we're mm. breaking through, we're getting something that they want or they can't have. We've got relationships with players. I don't want to come across as braggy in this point, but that's been almost a double-edged sword. It's been the best time for me and Jack because we've done some amazing things, some incredible content, like I've had, I've had Grant Holt, club legend, around my house for a pizza and a beer, doing a watch along, um, telling us the ins and outs of the game. Yeah, I saw him drinking his can of Stella. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Todd Cantwell, you know, pulling up outside my house in his massive motor and, mm-hmm. and his designer gear and having the gold, having his medal, the league winning medal around my neck. But the other side of that is really dark nights, 
and moments where we've ne- we've never ever wanted to give up because it's driven us on to do more and it's made us work harder. But I would say that the reason why me and Jack haven't given up is that it's the adversity that we've gone through. Him mm. losing his dad, me losing my mum, and it's been it's been almost like a healing process for us. We see it as like accomplishments, like the journey that we've been on. Like I've got countless videos on my phone that no one's seen of just me and Jack talking to a camera being like, right, here we are outside Jake Humphrey's house. How do you feel? Uh, outside his, you know, big house. <laughs> and yeah, it is huge, but trolls are really, really hard work. And it's, I think anyone that sits in front of a camera or a mic and says it's easy to deal with people like that is completely bullshitting you. It's mm. it's, it's not right. Yeah, I agree. Um, and sometimes it's not the personal comments. It's the little digs. It's this whole cancel culture, this call out culture that's that's happening now. And people do things uh, to, to appear woke for, for likes on Twitter and, and the vanity metric of, you know, they get, oh, they get like 44 likes on a tweet that says, Chris, you don't have a clue about any Buendia. Like, <laughs> I'm just sharing an opinion. Um, and that's been hard. And also bearing in mind that me and Jack are both going, well, you know, I'm probably, I, I'm almost done with it now, I feel. I'm never going to be completely done, but I'm almost done with grieving now. Um, but Jack hasn't because he's got a long way to, even more of a long way to go. And we've propped each other up, like where we just think, God, this is really shit. Why are we doing this? Why are we actually doing this? We're putting out content that people want to hear about and listen to and watch. Yet, you know, Derek and Deerham is giving us shit because we said that, I don't know, an El Hernandez shouldn't start. Like, mm. So, yeah, that's been really difficult. And I think just the relentless nature of the YouTube world. So... A real big problem with social media is the fact that you can make a fake account and mm. you can be anyone. And it, it's so easy for someone to slag you off with no consequences, but not just slag you off, say real personal things like I have really, really, I'm finding it even difficult to talk about this now. I've really struggled with uh, some of the comments that I've got, like, you know, people calling me, uh, see you next Tuesday. And, um, People saying that they, that I should have been a stain on the on the bed sheets, and my dad had a heart attack literally last year, and someone tweeted that to me when I was by my my dad's bedside table, bedside table, bedside in hospital, and um, yeah, like I think people they see a really confident Chris or a real confident Jack because we're mates, like in a pub. Yeah. That's how it feels in a pod, but they didn't realise that we're really. We, we've got mental, everyone's got mental health, right? We need to look after it. And the problem with social is that the noise that you hear is often the negative noise. If you watch yeah, one of my cuts podcasts, so easily, doesn't it? 100%, but also like if someone likes something, like, and it's it's really become apparent recently because we've started a Kofi page for people to donate, right? There's people all over the world that have literally just paid three quid to me and Jack just because they like it and they've enjoyed it over the years but they wouldn't necessarily tweet saying that was an amazing podcast. Mm. So quite often when you do a piece of content, you see mainly negative criticism week in, week out. You know, I get, I get abuse every single day on YouTube uh, or on Twitter every single day. And I think people just, they just don't realize that I am who I am because of the experiences that I've had. And 
in a way it's healing for me like going on camera getting passionate about Norwich is because it's a feeling of belonging like mm. we all long for this element of community and yes that's been hard dealing with that so just trolls relentless yeah. trolls it's very it's a very fine line between um caring about feedback and which you have to find you have to find feedback to see what fans are enjoying inevitably you're gonna find negative comments amongst that and like you said they're gonna stand out uh, ahead yeah. of the others um I remember having a conversation when I first started uh, doing TNC. I had a conversation with a former Tottenham player and at the time current Norwich player, Paul McVeigh. Um, you know, top man, played against Cristiano Ronaldo, all of the greats. And he does a lot of mindset, self-psychology stuff now, which has completely changed my life through Gavin Drake at Mindspan. There's a book called Mindspan. Again, please read that. Um, please go and buy that because it completely changed the way I think and changed my life. And Paul McVeigh said to me, Chris, are you sure you want to do this? After I first got loads of abuse. And I, and I said, yeah, I do. I was quite naive at that time. Like, yeah, I do. And he went, Chris, well, I tell you, if you do this, you have to be prepared. You are going to get stick, relentless stick, until the day that you finish. And I think a lot of budding YouTubers and kids like, you know, my girlfriend's a school teacher, love her to bits. And, you know, she asks questions to her, to her kids like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's now not so much footballers or astronauts or scientists, it's YouTubers. Mm. But they do not realise the implications of being a YouTuber or being a, like a, a thought leader or an influencer. Like They just want to be that person. But then when you get to that point, you don't realise there's so much baggage with it. People giving you abuse and people trying to call you out, people trying to... Um, They've got like a, a narrative of like trying to bring you down. There's a I'm I'm re, I'm a religious Gary V fan, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he says a great thing, which is there's two ways to build the school the tallest skyscraper in the city. One is to just build the tallest skyscraper, but what most people do is they try and knock down the other skyscrapers in the city, and it's that nonsense that is just really hard to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something that I haven't really come across yet on this show. And I think that's partly because I've, I feel like I've got this, uh, this as mental health is the subject that I focus on, I feel like I've almost got this shield around me where if people like dig at the content I make, it, it, has, it hasn't happened yet, to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm grateful that hasn't happened yet. But if people do dig at the content that I make, then then I, I sort of fear for them, to be honest. Like I would worry about that because if you're not happy to hear people talk, talking about their mental health and opening up about any of these subjects and, and, you're, and you strongly disagree with it enough to comment online, when that day comes, I think that will scare me without a doubt. You will get that. Yeah. You will get that. One of my clients, the Lockdown Tactics, uh, Robert Snodgrass, West Ham player, Chris Boyd, former Rangers legend. Mm. They their podcast is around mental health and with with top athletes around the world. I was I'm running the so I was running the socials for them and you know they they would be getting stick all the time like oh mental health's boring and oh we're so fed up of you talking about mental health now and and also there's this whole thing around like people people should do it people should just do good for goodness sake yeah and like you doing this content. That's all that matters because you will give value to one person. Like, again, the flip side of doing what I do is, and what Jack does, I'm sure he gets these messages as well. I'll get, a me although I'll get stick every week, 
guaranteed I'll get an Instagram DM once a week from someone that I have no idea who they are. Promise, no idea. And they messaged me out of nowhere saying, Chris, because of the podcasts or because of what you put out on Instagram, like inspirational stuff or motivational stuff, or I talk a lot about mortality, which we'll go on to in a minute. Thank you. You've motivated me. I've got really bad mental health problems or I've really struggled with this or my mum died or my grandma died or my dog died and you helped me and I'll go, that's why I do what I do. And so for you, you need to be aware of that. It will come. You'll mm. get stick. But yeah. the flip side of that, there'll be one person that you can and you will change their entire life. And that is the most incredible feeling in the world. It's better than any monetary value, any sponsor, any player interview. That's what matters. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to re-listen to this whenever whenever I'm like, you know, in a bit of a rut and I'm struggling to make content. I'll, I'll rethink of that. Um, okay, I wanted to touch on a bit on grief. Um, you spoke about there what you and uh, Jack have been through. How has how has that changed you? Because a lot of people come out of this. I, I don't know if you ever really stopped grieving, but um, you, you know, yeah. what I mean, come out with a, a different perspective on their work life and their personal life. How has that how has that changed you? Yeah, massively in so many ways. Like I could talk about it for hours and I'm so passionate about talking about grief. Mental health is really important. But you know what I would say is I think that grief needs to be spoken about so much more. People, There's this whole stigma around talking about death. Mm. And I think the more I've tuned into my own mortality, the more I've enjoyed my life, which sounds like complete contrasts, but... I value my time on planet Earth so much more because of the fact that my mum died. I, I almost see it in a really weird way as a blessing because yeah. she had if she hadn't have died, I would not have achieved what I've achieved up to this day, end of. And I think grief can cripple people, but because of the fact that luckily I invested in a self-psychology course, Gavin Drake Mindspan changed my life. And he taught me about perspective and gratitude. And um, a lot of people get caught in the negative spiral and they don't know how to get out. And, you know, there's loads of stuff with grief that that I can help people on. And feel free to message me if you're struggling with it, because I don't want anyone to be alone ever. This is really bloody hard. But it's about habits and the small little positive things. And, you know, I've got a gratitude journal. I've got on my phone, I write down, all of the tiny little things that I'm grateful for. And I don't read it every day because that'd be nonsense. Mm. But when I feel like shit, I'll read through that whole entire list. Like I live, I've got a roof over my head. I've got lovely cats. I went on Liam's podcast and it was amazing. He was a top man. <laughs> I've interviewed loads of top players. And, and all of a sudden you look back and think, actually, you know what? It doesn't, you know, this that that that's just noise, the negative noise. And honestly, if I walked out of this room right now and got hit by a bus, I'd be satisfied with my life. And that will be really difficult for people to understand that haven't been through a death that's that close to them. Mm -hmm. They won't understand it. But I now go into rooms of people and I want to leave the room having given them so much energy that it's been a part, like I've changed their experience on planet Earth. And yeah, like... I value time so much, so much. Like I'd rather have time than money, which again, people won't understand unless they've been through it. Um, but I think that's massive. Um, and I miss my mum dearly. I, I, you know, she's she's a hero to me, you know, and I learned a lot from her weirdly to this point that I still value. Like 
in my uh, in my wallet right now, I've got her business card and I carry it with me everywhere. No one knows this, by the way. This is all mm. exclusives. Um, she used to work for a, a, a dentistry company selling dentist gear, right? Smashed it. Top saleswoman. Amazing. And she managed to get to a million pounds in sales before she passed away uh, for the company, not for her. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not that loaded. Um, I'm not loaded at all, actually. And and then and then she died. Um, and so like, it's all those little things like I've got a business card with me everywhere I go. So I'm always thinking perspective because it can always be worse. Like, And when she passed, one of the first things that I did is I got on a flight to Zambia and I went to an orphanage and I went and helped out at a local school. And again, there's a stigma around that of, oh, you just went for the pictures. Mm. And let me tell you that until you go, believe me, it's a life changer. Because I'll tell you a very brief story. When I went to Zambia, and this this will help people with grief, I believe. If you're struggling with grief, find perspective. Because someone has always got it worse than you. And that sounds cliche, but I'll tell you a quick story. I went to Zambia in a bit of a ropey trip, actually, with my best mate, Mike Manson top man and when we went out there we met a guy called webby and he was our security guard right he was 17 at the time <laughs> where we were staying you couldn't go out at night you know there was like barbed wire over the top of the uh we were like staying in a nunnery basically like so we'd be woken up in the morning with like nuns singing to us which was lovely but also a bit annoying because it was so early in the morning anyway so we were with webby the whole time and it got to the end of the trip and one of the girls we were with uh, louise found out that it was his birthday. So we decided that we'd um, give him some presents. And I gave him the last present that my mum gave to me before she passed was one of those really old school iPod nanos with like the the, 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 the flicky spinny bit on it. Sounds weird to talk about it now, doesn't it? And I get, and I, that moment changed my life because I gave him my mum's iPod nano, which is the last thing that she gave to me. One of my other friends gave him some headphones. One of my other friends gave him a charger. We sung him happy birthday and he burst into tears and we didn't really know what to do. It's a bit awkward. Like we were like, why aren't you happy? Well, I've just started telling you like, you know, got you loads of stuff. And he said, uh, this is the first time I can ever remember celebrating my birthday because I lost my mum and dad when I was six. And I haven't celebrated my birthday since then. His mum and dad both died. And he, one of his jobs at the orphanage was to go out to the streets of Zambia and literally try and find kids that had been kicked out, quite often burnt. They believe in witchcraft over there. He'd been through so much, started crying. And he said, I lost my mum and my dad. And that for me was like a game changer because I was like, this isn't just me. So many people deal with grief all the Mm. time. It's not easy. But you've got to find perspective. And I always look at that that story and I always think to myself, like, come on, it's doable. You can do it. You can make something of your life 100%. And I, I honestly see grief now as the petrol in my fire every single day. I, I would honestly say, Liam, sounds really, this is really dark, actually. I think about death every day. I think about Norwich every day as well. But I think about <laughs> death every day as well. Um, and quite often I think about um, I think about my funeral and I think about who would be there and I think about who would talk and what would they say and would it be full to the rafters? And if it's not full to the rafters, I need to help some more people because I, I want to live my life 
with the the ambition of loads of people coming to my funeral, having positively impacted loads of people. And that way you'll end up making money anyway. Because if you're helping people, you make money. So mm. I wish that more people had that mindset. Yeah, I, I think I went through a stage where I was definitely a naysayer with uh, with things like, like reaching out to people and helping others. And the gratitude journal, I used to think it was a bit wanky, to be honest. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, but now I've realised now how important those things are. And it's those tiny little pit, uh, bits of a jigsaw that I, when you put them together, um, it just makes you feel complete as a person. Yeah. Um, like I, I journal, I'll do, I'll do it a few times a week, not too often. Uh, and again, I used to fucking hate that shit. I, I, I would think, no, that's just not going to do anything for me. But then you don't see until you write stuff down, you don't see... It, it, things get jumbled up in your head so easily yeah. and it's not until you get it all out that yeah. could either be through speaking that could be through writing down and you see everything in front of you you can put it all together yeah. and, you, and you're thinking and that there that doesn't actually matter I don't know why I'm thinking about that at all um, that here is quite important so maybe I could focus on that um, but it's, so it's really interesting that you've come through grief with all of these new things this new lease of life really um, and I'm yeah. sure should be very proud of the person you've become I didn't know her but I'm sure, I'm sure she would be I really appreciate that, mate. You won't make me cry in a minute. Um, yeah, like that that means everything to me. And a lot of people say that to me. And it literally, that is what I, that is my highest form of praise. And I'm just going to keep doing what I do, keep making it proud. Like literally this, yeah, this week I set up my limited company. Yes, uh, I saw that. Yeah, congrats. Yeah. social media. And yeah, like, you know, yeah, I really appreciate that. She uh, she wrote me a letter before she died, and I've never shared. I, I share I share everything that I can online because I want people to find value in it. Mm. But I've never ever shared the letter that she wrote me because it's so personal to me, and I never will. But there was one there was one part of it which I shared, which was just very brief. Um, when I told the world that I'd set up my limited company, and she just said. If you carry on the way you are and keep up your your positive attitude, you'll be a success. And I was just only 14 at the time, and now I'm 26. And that for me was like another big, massive bit of closure for me. Um, so thanks, I appreciate that. But I don't, yeah, like, every, like loads of people deal with it. And so if I can just make just even just a small dent and help, you know, one person a week, it will be amazing. I'd love to do that. Love that. Of that um you, you mentioned reeve social there let's let's sort of move into that slightly i want to hear what is reeve social how would you describe that to someone and then we're gonna we're gonna come back into some more deep stuff later no it's fine so so yeah i um yeah I've, I've set up reeve social media it's my it's my limited company i've always uh i've been a massive believer in multiple streams of income massive believer um, it's unlocked so many doors for me and so many people are confined by this nine till five, not just job mentality. So I'd be doing like my nine till five. And then for again, like I'd be doing talk or sitting until the early hours. Mm. Sometimes I'd be doing like my own side hustle in the early hours. And since the age of 16, I've always done social media freelance for like pubs or restaurants yeah. or businesses or someone that's starting off like a campaign or a project. Because I just love, again, I love helping people. I love them saying to me, Chris, well done, you smashed it. That was massive for me when I was dealing through because of my grief. Um, so I worked up my way through the marketing agency world locally. Um, I now work with um, arguably one of the biggest and best um, marketing agencies in definitely the UK, but the world. 
in Fountain. And they've won uh, a Google, a global Google award for being the best online. And um, and then I and then I set up my own business um, because I've always wanted to do it. So I look after uh, currently twelve clients, all sorts of amazing people, non-execs, chairmen, directors, people that want to grow their personal brand because that's what I've done. So I enjoy doing that. But also small businesses, large businesses legal software companies like what loads of different stuff and so what really social media does is i write i make social media simple for people um and i take it off their hands and I, it is a simple science really you know post consistently give value and um, there's obviously loads of tips and tricks with the content but yeah i just i write uh, i write social media strategies i do the digital consultancy piece with them but i also execute on that because a lot of people they know how to do the talking, mm. but they don't do the they don't do the delivery or the action. And I think that's what people enjoy about working with me and my agency is that we take people through the whole process from start to finish. So that's what we do. Brilliant. So working in social media, do you ever? I, I, I sometimes I, I feel like this. Do you ever feel like you're getting sucked into this artificial world where uh, like the vanity metrics are the most important and? You know, things like that really get un- under my skin. But for you, is there is there a divide in how you deal with that at work and how you deal with that in your personal life? I'm working on it. Right. Uh, it's not easy. You know, literally my job is social. So mm. not only do I go on social for enjoyment because it's my hobby or my side hustle with TNC, it's like my business, it's my livelihood. So I'm constantly on social media. I think social is getting a real bad rap at the moment. And it's because things can take off really quickly, negative things. But also there's a hell of a lot of positive stuff, a hell of a lot. Um, you know, what, like charities are making more money than ever before because of digital, of mm. social. You know, people are, you know, breaking news. They're getting news about tornadoes incoming quicker than ever before. You know, people are, are able to get in touch with their families quicker than ever before. Um, people have the opportunity to make money wherever they are on the whole of planet Earth from their mobile phone. Like, it's mental. And... I actually think, yes, social should definitely be to blame for poor mental health. But I also think if you actually engage and follow the right the right accounts, it can be so good for your mental health. Mm. Like I've connected with some of the most amazing people through social media all over the world because I've actively culled off the negativity. I've got rid of it. Why listen to it? I think a lot of people are quite awkward about like unfollowing people or like, uh, unfriending them. But I actually have a process probably every six months where I go through my Twitter following, my Instagram following, my Facebook friends, my LinkedIn connections, and I just get rid of them. I just cull them off. And I have this active process of trying to be, uh, trying to associate myself with winners, with positive people, with people that care about the planet, rather than people that just moan and grizzle and gripe. And, you know, negativity without solutions is, is not great and i think it's hard to disconnect from social but i've got some rules and regs around it now which are really try hard to do so for example i have a no social sunday um which i've tried to be doing the last month or so mm-hmm. i've struggled with that but i'm getting there it's because the football season is just starting again yeah. that's my excuse anyway um i don't tweet within half an hour after a football match because i'm so like passionate about something within it mm. and quite often it could come across in the wrong way so i let myself calm down before i go on social media um yeah i i, I think that 
Social gets a bad rap, but but don't forget, there's a hell of a lot of positives. There's a lot of money to be made, by the way. <laughs> so yeah. much money to be made. Um, but also, it can improve your mental health. Um, but I would just say that if I call it the bullshit circle, right? And if you're aware of this, you and anyone, know, and you'll know this already, which is you're in bed at night, you're gone Instagram, scroll, mm-hmm. then Facebook, scroll. Then in then back to Twitter, scroll. Yeah, oh, LinkedIn. I should probably look at something for work. Scroll. Oh, YouTube. Talk not shit. Then you scroll. Like, and all of a sudden, that's probably at least an hour. And then what do you do? The bullshit circle starts again because the the whole. Don't forget the way that socials work is they want to keep you on the platform. Mm-hmm. That is how they make their money. They're literally the the architecture of a social media site is built the same way of a gambling website. The the the, the the whole way it's functioning, the the structure of it, um, the user experience, the notifications, they're, they're they're not good. So set yourself time limits. Um I actually I'm I might be the only social media manager on planet Earth that actually has all of my notifications off. What? You're a social media manager? Yeah. Because I log into it every day anyway, but I don't need something new popping up at like three in the morning that's going to ping and light up my phone the blu-rays go it's like it's too much so i was you know start to i would suggest to people have a no social sunday have that time to spend with your your friends your family your girlfriend and have a time in the evening where you don't go on your phone i know i i a lot of people do this i've managed to get out of my system i don't go on my phone first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. so i wait until i'm at my desk before i look at my phone that's been really good for my mental yeah, health. Yeah, that was really good. Well. And you know what it is, Liam, is that you're in control because if you read something in bed of, oh, Deborah wants me to do this or, oh, Gary said I need to do that or, oh, someone's called me a prick on YouTube again. Mm-hmm. Like that's setting yourself, that's setting your psychology for the day completely wrong. Yeah, you end up being reactive rather than proactive. It's, oh, I love that. I love that. And and what what I think people need to do more of is spend the first hour of their day uh, – I think it's Tony Robbins talks about zenning into the day. So like envisage and like forward think and think what, what, what does success look like in your everyday? So I think, right, I'm going to really impress that client today, or I'm going to smash this result today, or I'm going to actually manage to get hold of that footballer today, or I'm going to connect there. And, and, and don't forget, right, gratitude, perspective. I'm going to die, so I need to enjoy myself. But if you're on your phone, you're not thinking about any of that bigger picture stuff. You're not. I don't buy that you are. Um, so yeah, that's but but as I say, like I love social because it unlocks so much opportunity for so many people. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're gonna see a new and more honest direction for social media then? Because there's a talk like with Instagram, they're take they're trialing taking away likes in all these countries. Um, I think that would help personally, but do you think countries are gonna uh, sorry? platforms are going to move towards that or do you think it's too detrimental to their success yeah i think it's we're just at the beginning stage i Mm. think like stop putting your lives and your mental health in the responsibility and accountability of the platforms themselves you have to take control yeah yeah get rid of the negativity you know mute people you know remove it from your life you know like for example i know this sounds a bit bad but with all of the COVID stuff at the moment, I've muted COVID-19 on Twitter 
because it's just noise. Mm-hmm. I'll listen to the daily briefing, maybe, but if nothing's changed for a week, I'm not going to listen to it. Yeah, I do the same with Piers Morgan. I'm you. Uh, exactly. Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And, and that's totally okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's a real positive move. I think it's really good that Instagram are stopping likes because from a social point of view, people are so afraid of being them true their, their true selves online because they don't they don't put a picture online that makes them feel good that they're doing. They're putting a picture online that they know will get lots of likes. Yeah. And that is all wrong. And it's really bad for your mental health. I think for me personally, I've, I've been doing this for probably about a year and a half now, but a lot of people still struggle with it, like being bound by likes. They mm. only put stuff out online that they know they're going to get. They're going to get liked. And, and that is wrong. It's bad for your mental health. But also, it's bad. It's bad for your 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 person. Like you, like I value someone online so much more if they're being them true selves because you can buy into them more. You yeah. understand more about them. You mm-hmm. want to help them more. What do they do for a living? And um, I'm not saying plaster everything on there because that is the other end of the scale. But yeah, like, but I actually think the biggest thing is your mindset with social. It's not about the platform. It's it's, it's actually your mindset. You know, you need to be really aware of the negatives the positives how to handle abuse how to handle haters and just try and tidy up yeah it breaks my heart a little bit sometimes social media i said this actually on one of the first podcasts i did with my friend Lockie, um that social media has led to me and I, I, I hate saying this i hate thinking it it's led to me being really disappointed when i've met people in real life not by appearance absolutely that's not the case at all because everyone looks better on instagram that's easy to do yeah but when i see people that they're preaching about all this stuff i mean there's, there's girls i've seen preaching about mental health but i've seen them out with their friends and they're slagging everyone off they're doing <laughs> this there and they're, they're doing stuff yeah. that could be detrimental to someone yeah. else's health yeah and I'm, I'm i'm at i'm at the end of my of my patience well, with it to be honest you have to like i talk about having a circle a lot which is like the people that you really give a shit about like Mm. your mom your dad your gran your girlfriend or your boyfriend and maybe like your best friend your bestest best friend keep a really tight circle if someone in that circle says hang on a minute chris you've been preaching about mental health on your on your instagram account yet you've just called this footballer a twat but not said why you just called him a twat i don't do that but like you get my point and i think Having that accountability is really important. Like, I love my girlfriend Becky. I love her so much. And one of the things that she does really good is, like, I'll share like I'll share a quote onto my story or something, and she'll say, "But how does that make that type of person feel?" Like, and mm. kind of pulls me back a little bit and says, "Hang on a minute, whoa, 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 whoa!" Like, be careful because a lot of people are looking at your account. And you've got to be careful like the way you act and the way you talk and stuff. And that I, I really value that. But a lot of people don't have that. Um. But to flip this into a positive, the real thought leaders, the real influencers, the people that are really, really good at what they do, they're doing videos, stories. Yeah. I, I would always second guess a caption on Instagram. I would always second guess a tweet. I'd always second guess a Facebook status because it's static. You can get anyone to write you anything from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. I could pay someone right now to go and write me an ebook that makes me look like, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's just not true, is it? And so do you, have, do you have their email address? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I just I just think you have to be your true self, but that takes bravery mm-hmm. and showing vulnerability is really important, really important, you know. And a lot of people that are the built personal brands for themselves aren't doing that. 
than yeah. that sucks. I think escapism is a is really amazing thing because it does open up all these avenues for you. But we've got to the point now where people are it's it's not escapism anymore. It's more they're escaping their personality. That's really what they're doing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like they're yeah. they're escaping what how they actually feel about things. And, and like it's so sad when you look over at like a, a group of people out having drinks or having dinner and they're all on their phone. It's like I'm like why yeah. what are you doing like you've got four people amazing friends with you i'm guessing and you're just yeah. going through other people's instagrams who if they were here you wouldn't even look at them so i just don't understand yeah. it i think that what we're going to see we are going to see a trend come through now and just like a couple of like the leaders that i speak to and, and they say to me like you know i went to this party in london chris and I went wow okay what's this what was he going to say and he said it was amazing should i tell you why it was amazing because we put our phones in lockers before we went in mm. and they give you a key no phones at all talk to people but again a lot of people are moaning about tech and kids glued to their phone now but i actually kind of disagree with that because people were saying the same thing about listening to the radio people were saying the same thing about reading newspapers yeah. like you're always going to get that element of bitchiness or gossip or or underhand or trying to pull someone else down but yeah i, I do agree that it is sad to be constantly on your phone but again there is so much opportunity. Like I'm on my phone all the time because I'm making money. Mm. Like I'm posting something for a client that's paying me a lot of money a month. So it depends on your viewpoint, doesn't it? Like kids get slagged off because they're on their phones all the time, but actually they're starting a YouTube channel and they need to respond to all the comments. Not all kids are just wasting their time online. And that does anger me a bit because I think the generation above us and above that, who don't understand it at all, by the way, um, to be very honest with you, they don't they don't understand that you can actually be really super productive by being on your phone mm -hmm. but you're right there does need to be some off time too yeah. of course i need to learn how to be productive whilst on my phone because that's something that, that i struggle with a lot when yeah. i spend a lot of time on social media or just with my phone in my hand generally i almost feel the motivation get sucked out of me i'm guessing you don't have the same problem because for you if you're on your phone not all the time but i imagine mm -hmm. a lot of the time you are being productive i would definitely agree with the i would definitely agree with the opinion that the more you're on your phone the less motivated you become because the the more unproductive you can become mm. if you're in the bullshit circle whereas if you're on your notes section and you're ticking off tasks and you're closing down the apps that you're done with oh right i don't need to do facebook anymore because i'm doing something that's really important um but again like it's different it's different for me like it is different for anyone that's been through any serious adversity because you think well, what is this piece of pl this metal plastic that i'm chained by like, yeah what does it mean i no one's gonna no one is going to talk about let's take it back to my funeral again no one is going to stand up at my funeral saying oh chris do you remember that instagram post that you got 1500 likes on no one gives a shit. It's mm -hmm. like, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. And and even for brands now, brands want to work with micro-influencers that actually get less, um, that gets less likes, but more genuine connections with people. So, yeah. Okay. So we've touched on a lot of topics. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really interesting to get to get inside TNC and inside your head and see, see what's going on, really. Um, I always like to finish... This is sort of new for for this season. I call them long ball questions. No more okay. ticker tacker. They're going to be they're going to be deep. Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce yep. stuff. Yeah, long ball style. I want quick fire. Okay. Um, not too quick. You know, like moderate speed limit, thirty miles an hour answers. Um, okay. So, in the world of football, what's the most emotional moment that you've been a part of? Ooh, that could be positive wow. or negative. Wow, that's huge. Mm. Um, 
Okay, I've got three, uh, if you don't mind. The sure. most uh, the most thrilling, joyous moment was going to Portman Road, Ipswich Town, of course, and beating them 5-1 in their own back garden. That was amazing. That We were dancing on the terrace. That We were, I was just, that That for me was just like huge. It mm. was like so incredible. Um, of course, Norwich have won at Wembley, which is amazing. Won this season that I would say I was most, that was probably the most jubilant I've been all time was we beat Man City at home and it was like literally David versus Goliath. We didn't have a chance. We had nine players injured. We beat them. That was incredible. Probably the the saddest I felt was Fulham away. All we had to do was draw and we lost 6-0 or 6-1. And I cried all the way home. I was a kid, but still, I'd probably cry now. <laughs> In fact, I still do. <laughs> uh, you'd be on a live stream with your Australians, mate. <laughs> exactly, mate. Get over it. No, but that's probably the, the most emotional I felt at football matches. Love it. And uh, next question. Are you proud of the person you've become or are becoming? <sighs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm getting better at that. I'm getting better at self-acceptance. That's really important to give yourself a pat on the back. Mm. Although I think it is healthy to have a high expectation of yourself. Quite often, Jack will say to me, Chris, you've smashed it. Do you realise that we've just been at Jake Humphreys and we filmed the podcast, yet you're trying to line up three others? And I'm like, yeah, because you've got to keep going. And he's like, no, 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 celebrate success, calm down. So, yeah, I would say I'm proud of the I'm proud of the way that I've bounced back from my mum's death massively. But in terms of my career, I've got a long way to go. Like I've just set up my company. I've got a lot of things that I want to achieve. Uh, I've got a lot of ambitions, but what success looks like to me is quite different to others. Like I want to go on one amazing holiday every year with my girlfriend, I want to get married, I want to have kids and I want to empower people. So yes, I'm proud of what I've done so far, but there is a long way to go. What is happiness to you? Wow. Oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> happiness to me is... happiness to me is making someone laugh happiness to me is making someone uh cry because they're so grateful for you happiness to me is empowering someone to do something that makes you feel good it's like selfish but selfless at the same time Mm -hmm. and i think true happiness is when you are doing your thing, whatever that is. You're on the journey, not at the top. And people forget this. And it's like your best friend pissing yourselves with laughter. It's uh, it's being at the bottom of the Christmas tree with your mum. It's, you know, like, and that, and I think the happiness being so many different things to different people. Like one of the things that I have a massive debate with my old man about all the time is he's very, very money driven. And because of my experiences with money, because of like my stepdad and my mom and quite complicated, but I now don't enjoy talking about money and I'm not motivated by it either. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you could do this. You could do that. You could do that. And I'm like, dad, dad, I just want to be happy. I just want to watch telly with my girlfriend or go on a lovely holiday. And that's okay. And so I think for anyone that's watching this and listening to this, I would say, someone else's happiness doesn't have to be yours and be careful who you listen to because they're saying well if you go to uni you'll get this job and then you'll be really happy nonsense Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel right don't do it 
um, you know, happiness can mean so many different things to different people. But for, for me, happiness is when like you're with someone and they are so grateful for your presence and you're bouncing off each other and there's a really high energy in the room. Like that's true happiness. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the uh, the emphasis on the on being happy in the journey as well, rather than focusing on that final outcome. Because that final 100%. outcome, when you reach that, there's another one. It's so. fun getting to the top. Like mm. it's so fun getting to the top. But like, honestly, even just in a TNC perspective, now we've interviewed players, like the only place we can truly go is like Delia and more nationals. But like, we're really enjoying this now because we know that we're in that middle bit. Yeah. And people have got to remember that. Love it. And last question of the day, Chris, what values do you try to live your life by? Gratitude, perspective and mortality. So being grateful for all of the little things, waking up in the morning and looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, thank you for being you. I'm so grateful that you are who you are. Thank you. You're enough. You are enough as you are. It's okay. It's okay. You're enough as you are. And being grateful for the little things, that that's massive. And a lot of people are obsessed with materialistic stuff and it just pisses me off so much because... Like, yes, it might make you happy, but like you're just moving on to the next thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like be grateful for your mum while she's here because she could get cancer and die and I felt it. And if I could, I just wish I could go back and have just just 20 minutes just to chat. And so I'm so, I always tell people, be grateful for your, you see your dad you're moaning about, be grateful for him because he's not going to be here forever. Mm. Um, and perspective as well. So we we spoke about that before with like my Zambia story. So someone's always got it worse than you. So, you know, like say you post a YouTube video, Liam, and you're thinking a bit shit about it. And you're like, oh God, this didn't go well. Like perspective, come on, bigger picture. Like, what does it mean? It's just one YouTube video. There's a long journey to come. You know that you've got to be consistent and continuously give value to people. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Have perspective. A phrase that I really like at the moment is zoom out. People don't zoom out enough. They're constantly focused on today and tomorrow tops. Some people think about next week. I'm talking to people today because I want to one day work with them in two or three years time. Plant seeds like that perspective. The last thing is mortality. Again, people don't talk about this, but I'm not afraid to talk about it. Think about your own death. Seriously. Like what, what, if you're unhappy in your job, why the fuck would you stay in your job if you're unhappy? Go and work as like, honestly, like well, go and work in a coffee shop and chat to people all day. Uh, you know, if you enjoy talking to people, it's, it, you know, that's do your thing. It's fine. Um, but yeah, if you're feeling shit in your job, quit because you've not got long. There's this amazing graph, which I'll have to send you to link to the video. And someone draws draws it out and it's like, okay, so you're born, zero. Okay, you first start to do things-ish when you're between 10 and 12. You start to pick up memories a little bit before that for some other people too. You get your first job at most people, probably 17, 18, yeah? Then you work, 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 until I think now the retirement age might be as high as 75. I know, it's going up. I mean, it might be 70, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm okay with being wrong. 
But the point is, is that then, so you get to 75, so you've done all this working constantly, bound by the nine till five bullshit. And then what? You've got five years to play golf and that's it. Like you've really got to appreciate this chunky middle bit. Mm -hmm. So you've got to do something that you love. And I think about that and it's really helped me really tune into it, really tune into it, hunt it out, Mm -hmm. like hunt out perspective all the time. Like, what does it mean? And if you're not getting that, like go and volunteer at an old people's home. If you've not had any adversity, you know, and the best conversation I ever had in probably at least five or six years is, um, is I actually spoke to an old woman on the way home, uh, from Manchester from a, from a music on event I was at. And, um, she said to me, I, I, I actually asked her, what is your regrets? What do you regret? She's like 85, the most empowering conversation ever. Mm. Talk to loads of old people. It helps. Love it. Chris, you've, you've delivered so much value. That was a bit random, chair. wasn't it? But I hope that at least it's given you lots of ideas and mm. something. Hopefully someone picks up something from it. No, I think they absolutely will. I know I have. It's been a real eye-opener for me. I know you're very very big on value. I've followed you on Instagram for a while and, and LinkedIn. I'm connected with you on there. I always see that you're very in- insistent to make sure what you're delivering and what you're saying has meaning and it has value mm. to people's lives. And for that, I thank you for coming on. You've been the first guest on our new season. Wow. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, re- I'm really grateful. I'm really happy to, uh, to have had you on. Yeah. Thanks. Honestly, thanks for inviting me. And, and genuinely, um, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're doing because like since you followed me on Instagram, I looked at it and I thought even before you messaged me, I looked, I, went, I really like that idea. I really like the fact that you're breaking down the stigma of this whole not showing vulnerability in, in football particularly. Um, so big up to you, mate. Honestly, you're smashing it. And I love I love what you're doing. Just stick at it and you'll be fine. Thank you very much. And to the listener, thank you very much for tuning in to the Football and Feelings podcast. Cheers. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.